0: Welcome to the Trans Amorous podcast. Take a walk on the wild side, and the colored girls go do Hello, and welcome back to the Transamorous Podcast. If you are joining me for the first time, my name is West, and this show is about love and acceptance. Yes, the good old LNA. My primary focus is centered around transgender and non-binary men, women, and those who love them. But the bigger purpose is to spread LNA for everyone, regardless of the external trappings of our lives. All that truly matters, all I'm really interested in, is the quality of your character, how you treat others, and the goodness you put out into the world. I care about your adjectives. Mine are perspicacious, compassionate, and awesome. This week's topic is transgender science and how it's providing undeniable, irrefutable proof that being transgender is real, is valid, and is totally normal. New discoveries in biopsychology, genetics, and other super complicated sciences that are way beyond my comprehension are beginning to resolve the question of if being trans is real, and allowing us to impose the question of when society will recognize it and accept it. In the following audio excerpts from recent podcasts, videos, and articles, I hope to reaffirm those who already know that being trans is real, and to enlighten those of you who aren't sure or even downright deny the validity of trans folks. This is, by no means, an exhaustive list of examples. In fact, this is, at best, merely the very tippy-top of a single snowflake on the tippy-top of the world's largest iceberg. And to save you a Google search, it's called Iceberg B-15, and it's larger than the island of Jamaica. I strongly urge you to do your own research and get educated because knowledge is power and we need to start fighting all the hate and discrimination. This is a subject we will visit often. Our first excerpt is from a YouTube video titled, A Trans Person's Brain is Similar to That of the Gender They Identify With. I'll provide links to this and other content in the show notes. The video is of Dr. Robert Sapolsky, a professor of neuroscience at Stanford, where he lectures on the similarity between a transgender person's brain and the brain of a cisgender person of the gender with which the former identifies. A specific region of the brain is the size, not of the sex a person is born with, but of the sex they identify with. Also discussed is a lack of phantom limb syndrome for trans women who undergo gender affirmation surgery as compared to cis men who undergo surgery for other issues.
1: Final realm of neurobiology. Rather than issues of gay versus straight, what is the neurobiology of transsexuality? And that used to be considered to be purely a domain of psychopathology. If being gay used to be a certifiable psychiatric disorder up until the early 1970s, the American Psychiatric Association in their textbook, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, you could be psychiatrically certified as ill. A psychiatric disorder was being homosexual or lesbian. And then in what had to have been one of the more all-time blowout committee meetings ever, they decided that, no, actually, it's not a psychiatric disorder. And overnight, about 40 million Americans were cured of a psychiatric disease. (laughs) The notion of transsexuality as a psychiatric disorder has had much, much longer shelf life. What's the neurobiology of that? To date, there have been a handful of studies, and they show essentially the same thing. Really, really interesting. Another region of the brain that shows a sex difference in its average size. Don't even worry about the name of this. It's called the bed nucleus of the striae terminalis. It's where the amygdala begins to send its projection into the hypothalamus. Another one to those gender differences. There's one type of neuron in there with a certain type of neurotransmitter where very, very reliably it is about twice the size in males than in females, sufficiently so that even in human brains, you could pretty confidently determine the sex of somebody by seeing the number of these neurons. You'll see I'm not even saying the name of the neurotransmitter. It's irrelevant. It's just another one of those differences, a dimorphism in a region of the brain, a really, really reliable one. And this was a study done by some superb neuroanatomists looking at transsexuals. And what they showed was very interesting, which was very, very reliably and a very powerful effect. What you would see in their large large sample size of transsexuals' brains post-mortem was People would have this part of the brain, the size, not of their sex that they were born with, but rather of the sex they insisted they always actually were. Wow. Immediate questions one must ask. Okay, well, maybe this is due to the fact that when people change gender, transsexual procedures, there's a whole lot of hormones involved. And maybe that's doing something to this part of the brain. Critical control that they had was, this was looking both at transsexuals who had made gender changes and those who went to their deathbed saying, this is not the sex that I am. I got the wrong body, but never made the change. It wasn't a function of having actually gone through the transition and the endocrine manipulations with it. Another control they had, which was looking at men who would get a certain type of testicular cancer where they would have to be treated with certain feminizing hormones, in other words, very similar to some of the endocrine treatments of male to female transgendered individuals and post-mortem You didn't see the changes there. It has nothing to do with the hormones. It had to do with the person insisting from day one that they got the wrong body. And this was a landmark study, fabulously well done and controlled and replicated once since then, showing that what transsexualism used to be thought of is that people who think that they're a different gender than they actually are. What this study suggests is what transsexual is about is people who got the wrong gendered body. And these are people who are chromosomally of one sex. In terms of their gonads, they're of that sex. In terms of their hormones, they're of that sex. In terms of their genitalia and their secondary sexual characteristics, they're of that sex. But they are insisting, that's not who I really am. This part of the brain agrees with them. Also very interestingly, that study was done by the same Dutch scientists who did this one. Again, this is very complex terrain in terms of what these things wind up implicating. Interestingly, that study was published right around the time that the city of San Francisco did something very cool, which was for city employees now, medical insurance will cover transgender operations. However, there's no evidence that the obscure endocrine journal published at a Latvia or something did that like the afternoon before. You know, the San Francisco commissioners had their meeting on that one. But nonetheless, this is a subject with all sorts of realms of implications. One additional study about transsexualism. OK, How many of you know about phantom limb syndrome? OK. You are a guy with a penis. And you get a certain type of penile cancer. And what's often done is your penis is excised. that is, cut off. And about 60% of men who have had to have their penises removed because of cancer there wind up getting phantom penile sensations, which I don't want to know about. <laughs> What you see, though, is when you take transgendered individuals who go from male to female, in other words, as part of it, having their penises removed, 0% rate of penile phantom sensation. Suggestion being that there is something much more normal in that case than when a penis is being removed for cancer. A whole new area of research, very
0: novel, very challenging.
1: Okay, so this is given.
0: Okay, so to me that was very powerful and the part about trans women not experiencing the phantom limb phenomenon was mind-blowing. Our next clip is of Dr. Milton Diamond who is an expert on human sexuality and a researcher at the University of Hawaii. He is the director of the Pacific Center for Sex and Society. He is widely known for the John slash Joan case where he followed up on David Reimer, a boy raised as a girl after he lost his penis in a failed circumcision. He tracked down the adult Raymer and found that efforts to turn him into a girl had not worked as was falsely reported in the scientific literature. This case has become one of the most cited in all of psychiatry. Dr. Diamond graduated from the University of Kansas in 1962 with a PhD in anatomy and psychology.
2: Hi, I'm Dr. Milton Diamond from the University of Hawaii School of Medicine and uh, I'm director of the Pacific Center for Sex and Society. Nature, when it makes its products, whichever they are, either human beings or animals or plants or whatever, M- makes them in many different forms and in fact we wouldn't have evolution if that didn't happen. So nature loves variety. The problem is uh, it's unfortunate that many societies don't like variety. They want everybody to be the same. They want everybody to think the same and have the same religion, have the same thoughts and same... well, I think that w- that's, that wouldn't be reality. I mean, it's reality for the society that they want things the same. It's not the same for nature. Nature wants variety, and that's the way it progresses. First, let me start off by telling you about some research we've done. We've done research on uh, individuals. Uh, Early on, some years ago, I did, uh, with some colleagues, uh, did research on uh, homosexuals. And we asked uh, individuals that were homosexual, twins, these are twins, I should say, and uh, we asked uh, them to tell us if they and their brother or sister were also homosexual or heterosexual. Well, it turned out, if they were identical twins... In about, in our study, uh, between 50 and 60 percent, I don't remember the exact numbers, turned out both of them were gay. Now, there's what they call a Kinsey scale, which basically rates individuals on a continuum. In other words, zeros on the scale are heterosexuals, complete heterosexuals. Six on the scale is completely homosexual. Three on the scale or anywhere between that would be individuals who have both uh, same sex and opposite sex partners occasionally. Well, what we found with our study was not only the twin um, within one number on that scale of their brother or sister, so in other words, one might have been a three in the middle, the other one was a four or or a two or something like that, which shows the high genetics, it means that's the way they were born. Now we did a similar study with transsexuals. So we got, now our this study contains over a hundred sets of transsexual twins, both males and females. and. In the cases, it's about thirty-five, one-third of those that are identical twins, both of the males transition to live as females. With females, it doesn't happen as often, and if they're a, uh, fraternal twins, it does. It happens almost never, <laughs> almost zero. Again, showing the high effect of the way they were born, the genetics that's involved. Now, we're doing a current study now with a colleague, Nancy Siegel. We're studying a set of twins where they were reared apart, and both of them transitioned again. Now, that's got to be genetics (laughs) because no family... Raises their kid to transition. No family brings wants their daughter or son to switch over. But these individuals, following their own life biases, have changed, and they did this com- independently of each other. In fact, living in different countries, because nobody wants to be known as having a disorder so that sort of has an, a stigma with it so the new term that w- term will be used is uh, gender identity dysphoria which is supposed to mean that the individual is uncomfortable with their situation and that that, uh, that discomfort leads to the dysphoria or is manifest by the dysphoria uh for many of the transsexuals <laughs> they call it euphoria they call it uh, the, a wonderful situation because they're either able to uh, be manifest both male and fe- what they consider male and female features or uh, live the life they want to and they're happy with it many people are aware that they uh, have features which society tells them <clears throat> are of their opposite gender. So somebody may be uh, so-called uh, rough and 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 outdoorsy and love uh, very masculine things, but also love things like flowers or art, which is considered feminine in our, in, in our Western society. Or on the other hand, uh, somebody could be a woman who loves children and loves to take care of them, but also uh, wants to be a professional boxer. So that individuals can have many so-called male or female traits within their their own uh, complexion, their own uh, life. So when an individual wants to make this such a, a dramatic change of saying, I would be happier living as a female, if I were a male. Uh, if I want to live as a female, that would make me happier. I want the world to react to me as a female. Well, that's the transsexual. Well, vice versa, the female who says, I want to be a male. I, I, my feelings are more like males. I want, my interests are more like males. I think more like males. I would be more comfortable as a male. That's the transsexual. The number one thing to tell a parent who's concerned about <clears throat> whatever their child is doing is, I love you. That's the first thing. And whatever, and find out why the individual, or try to understand what the individual is doing. If the girl picks up the Tonka trunk, truck and prefers that to the Barbie doll, that means she's getting some pleasure out of that. And you, as a parent, ought to feel good that your daughter is getting some pleasure out of this. And the same thing with if the boy picks up the Barbie doll rather than the Tonkin and Trunk, and he's happy playing with the Barbie doll, be thankful, happy that that child is happy with doing what they're doing. But if you're a real parent and doing parenting, you're also, I know, concerned with how that child will be treated but with by society. Will that child be bullied because he or she is different? Will that child be able to get a job? Will that child be able to be accepted in the religion? Whatever it is. And those are the things the true parent, the real parent, should be worried about. How can they help that child get along in life? If you're the individual themselves, and you're a teenager, uh, there's an expression that you hear among the gay groups, uh, things will be better. And they generally are getting better. More and more, uh, society is learning to be accepting of differences. And if you're proud of yourself, uh, be, be confident in yourself, and do the best you can whatever you decide to do in life, people will come to respect you for it and accept you for it, and accept you for yourself. Nature loves variety, and being different is not something to be ashamed of. Uh, Being different may be something to be proud of, and uh, even though society doesn't always agree to that, be confident in yourself and good luck.
0: Our next clip is from the YouTube channel, Jessica's TG Life, and is titled Science of Gender, Transgender Transsexual, Born This Way, in which she explains and comments on several published studies that support the conclusion that transgenderism is real, valid, and normal. I really like how she breaks it all down in a casual conversational tone. And by the end, you'll say to yourself, well, of course that makes perfect sense, duh.
3: Thanks for clicking on my video and welcome back to my channel. Uh, So I'm going to carry on with the science of gender as it relates to people who are transgender, uh, people who are transsexual, gender non conforming And um, there's two sides to every person. Uh, There's the biology, physiology of the person, uh, which is basically your flesh and blood, your bones, your muscles, your organs and so forth, uh, your DNA, your uh, molecules, (laughs) all down to the basics of of what you can put under a microscope, what you can dissect and look at. And then there's the uh, psychology of the person, your mind, your will, your emotions, or in religious terms, your soul and your spirit. Uh, That basically isn't as quantifiable, it's not something you can dissect, it's not something you can put under a microscope um so people who are transgender um that's basically uh it's yeah it's all in your head <laughs> who any person is, is is all in their head uh the difference is people who are cisgender um they they don't have any conflict in terms of uh yes their biology their physiology is male or female and their thought processes and all that goes along their mind will and emotions there um, is is uh in agreement with with who they are as as a person for the transgender person um it's not it's not an agreement like our, our mind and our will our emotions our psychology um isn't the same as our physiology uh so that's where the conflict is and uh people who are always debating it they're always throwing the biology side at the transgender uh, people uh, it's your biology and you, you'll you never be a, a woman because you're always and your basic biology will always be a man and of course that's that's hurtful and it's insulting uh but yeah from a scientific point of view that is true your biology uh, basically won't change i mean we can change our aesthetics we can change our appearance but our basic biology uh doesn't change uh, can't change the size of your hands or your feet or whatever um there's certain things we can change cosmetically so that when we look in the mirror that what we see agrees with what we innately and instinctively know ourselves to be uh, but yeah we've got all this resistance in society now and uh, a lot of it's based on people's religious points of views which is you know kind of um ironic um, <laughs> ludicrous ridiculous in terms of that the whole basis of their faith is based on the eternal nature of their soul or spirit which they would say is not not physical part of the physical world is part of the metaphysical world part of the spiritual world it's something that you cannot see something you cannot put it under a microscope but you instinctively and innately know because that's what faith is uh faith in 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 believing beyond what you can see, what you can touch with your hands, what you can hear with your ears. So they have that concept, and yet they deny that concept uh, for people who are transgender, and really they they go um, to biology and what you can put under the microscope. Uh, Well, you can't put your beliefs under the microscope either because we know they don't stand up. Um, So that's the debate, and really for us, it's not a debate because we're not arguing biology we're not arguing physiology Uh, but it does come down to psychology and a person's will mind emotions or personality and so forth Um, but just from a okay from a biology physiology point of view there have been a number of studies done um, on uh, people who are who identify as transgender transsexual gender non-conforming And uh, this particular article, I'm going to put the links um, in the description. This one was from the Scientific American Journal um, from 2016, and it was the cause of transsexualism. Uh, I'm just going to read a few uh, paragraphs, and I'll put the link um, in the description below, and you can read the whole thing if you desire to learn more, if you desire to be willfully ignorant. Well, (laughs) nothing I can do for you. Okay, so it says, some children insist from the moment they can speak that they are not the gender indicated by their biological sex. So where does this knowledge reside? And is it possible to discern a genetic or anatomical basis for the transgender identity? And then it goes on to explain that there's been uh, several studies that have been done, um, basically dating back to to, uh, 1995, when one of the most serious ones was done. But I'm just going to go with what's saying here. Uh, okay, so this is in, uh, study was published in 2013, but it was by Spanish investigators led by the uh, psych, psychobiologist Antonio uh, Guilamong, may not be pronouncing that right, uh, of the National Distance Education University in Madrid, and neuropsychologist uh, Carm uh, Wonga. Playa of the University of Barcelona, using uh, MRI to examine the brains of twenty-four female-to-males and eighteen male-to-females, both before and after treatment with cross-sex hormones. So they take into account the effects of the hormone treatments. Uh, the results, published in 2013, show that even before treatment, the brain structures of the trans people were more similar in some respects to the brains of their experience. Gender than those of their natal gender. For example, the female to male subjects had a relatively thin subcortical areas. These areas tend to be thinner in men than in women. Male to female subjects tend to have thinner cortical regions in the right hemisphere, which is characteristic of a female brain. So such differences became more pronounced after treatment. So after the hormone treatment, that um, became more and more evident. Uh, Trans people have brains that are different from males and females. A unique kind of brain, Guelamond says. uh, It is simplistic to say that a female to male transgender person is a female trapped in a male body. It's not because they have a male brain, but a transsexual brain. This is, of course, behavior and experience shape brain uh, anatomy. So, it is impossible to say if these subtle differences are inborn. The so, they had these studies um, on these individuals, and they found the similarities that the uh, male to female brain uh, has similarities to uh, a natal female brain, not, not completely, uh, but more similarities to that than to a, uh, to a male brain. And the same with uh, the female to male, that their different characteristics of their brain match more closely to that of, um, of the natal males. Um, then there were other studies done, um, one by Sarah M. Burke, uh, of VU BU University Medical Center in Amsterdam, and biologist Julie Baker of Netherlands Institute for Neuroscience. Using functional MRI to examine how 39 pre pubertal and 41 adolescent boys and girls with gender dysphoria responded to uh, an odorous steroid with pheromone-like properties that is known to cause a different response in the hypothalamus of men versus women Uh, they found that adolescent boys and girls with gender dysphoria respond much like peers of their experienced gender the results were less clear with the pre pubertal children Uh, another study uh, was conducted um and basically what they did is they they tested the the responses to to different outward stimuli some were scents and some were sounds uh that basically had nothing to do with with a person's social conditioning um and they always found or uh, they found that um the the male to female uh, transgender individuals responded to them more like Uh, the natal females and the um, female to male uh, transgender responded to those stimuli in the same pattern as um, a natal male. So the brain activity uh, was showing either male or female activity according to their their gender gender identity. There's also studies done where they uh, showed more connectivity between the hemispheres, um, which are typical for male or female, and found that in the transgender um, individuals that the the characteristics of that interconnectivity was either more male or more female, like the needle male or females. So in terms of the studies that have been done, um, a lot of them show that there is uh, a physiological basis for it. And a lot of them, We'll say it has to do with uh, what was taking place um, um, prenatally um, in, in the woman's uterus during development, that whether it um, was um, a deficiency in certain hormones at crucial times that led the person to become, their brain to become more feminized or, or more, more male-like. Um, but again, it is a physiological thing that, that happened that caused the person to have those different feelings so that's how their their brain is that's they're they're born this way <laughs> uh, they're born with that so it doesn't really matter how it happened or why it happened it's that's that's how they develop um another study um or talking about different studies i'm gonna put the link for this one it's cause of transsexualism is there a transsexuality gene Uh, So different studies that were done and some of them were the same as mentioned before. Um, As far as we are aware, there's no medical evidence to suggest existence of a gene that causes transsexualism, but there does appear to be sufficient scientific evidence to say that there may be alterations in the brain that could contribute to transsexuality as a result of the various environmental stimuli. Um, Lots of technical data. So all depends on how... What you want to learn, you can go over it. Um, OK, another kind of summary here is, in this regard, it has been known since 1995, the region of the brain that appears to control uh, that male transsexuals express themselves as female to male has a volume that tends towards female proportions. While in female transsexuals who express themselves as male uh, as male, female to male, the brain volume tends towards male proportions. Several subsequent studies have confirmed these findings. Indeed, in the male brain, there is a receptor for testosterone, which plays an essential role in its development. One in male to female transsexuals, however, the ability of these receptors to bind testosterone is lower, lower, which contributes to the brain developing as female. In contrast, in female to male transsexuals, there is a gene, gene variant upon which some female hormones act, especially progesterone. Dysfunction of this gene tends to favor the development of a male brain in an individual with XX chromosomes, genetically female. This incongruence between desired psychological sex and undesired biological sex seems a condition, in part, by a cerebral cause. In some cases, may, as mentioned, lead to gender dysphoria. So basically, um, there's been again a number of studies, and I'll put the links in the. Uh, in the comments in the description that um are physiological biological causes for a person to be transgender and uh people who want to be cool say, so, well it's abnormality and an anomaly or whatever and the thing is it, it doesn't really matter what caused that the fact is that's how a person was born like a person can be born with all kinds of, of abilities Not all of us have the ability to sing. Not all of us have the same uh, intellectual level in in different areas. Some of us are more musical. Some of us are more artistic. Some of us are are more um, people who have different abilities. Um, That's just how they're born. I mean, it's a combination of all these factors. So to, to belittle or to dehumanize or to... Invalidate a person because they're different, that's how they're born, that's how um their brain is. And yes, the transsexual brain may be different in terms of it's neither male nor female, it's um male to female, transsexual, their brain has been feminized by these things that took place in the womb. Um by uh these interactions, that's how their brain developed. And same thing for female to male, that's how their brain developed and doesn't mean that that affects uh, any other area of their life they can be just as intelligent uh, just as artistic just as uh, accomplished in in life it's just that um their gender identity that that part of their brain that determines their gender identity is either more feminized or more masculine so we're not arguing that the person is completely male or female in every aspect no they're not we understand that But it's their psychology, their, again, their will, their mind, their emotions, their soul, heart, spirit, which you should understand if you're religious at all, is, um, identifies, and is instinctively and innately male or female core. So that's all I got to say on that for now. I'm going to have to (laughs) trim this down because I got wordy again. But thanks for tuning in.
0: You should definitely check out her YouTube channel, Jessica's TG Life. Now, the last clip I'm going to share today is from my personal favorite podcaster on the subject of trans science. You can find her show on iTunes and elsewhere. It's your friendly neighborhood transgender scientist, Dr. Dana Bevan. Now, she packs a lot of big brain, sciencey gobbledygook into each episode. So the following excerpt is just a taste. I strongly suggest you check out her podcast if you want to know what's up for real in current evidence.
4: Hello, my name is Dana Bevan. I'm coming to you from the beautiful Buckhead District of Atlanta, Georgia. I'm your friendly transgender scientist, and I'm here to provide you with understandable scientific information about being transgender. I am transgender, and I've known I was transgender since I was four. I was in the closet for many years and finished transsexual transition later in life. But I'm also a biopsychologist, which means that I look across all of science to understand how the brain generates behavior. I hold a PhD from Princeton University, and I've published three books on transgender science under the names Dana Bevan and Thomas Bevan. Today I'm going to talk about transgender causation. As a scientist, this has always been a fascinating topic for me because it involves an important example of how the brain generates behavior. And as a transgender person, I always wanted to know why I am transgender. There wasn't much science on this topic until the 1990s. Before that, there was some evidence that biology was involved, but little else. We knew that there were transgender people throughout the Western world, which meant that it was not some isolated phenomenon. But in the 1990s, I started to discover scientific reports and papers which were more than just generalities, and I've been on the trail of transgender causation and related issues ever since. In my research, I have found four factors that appear to work together to make someone transgender, at least according to current evidence. Some people think of causation as a nature versus nurture phenomenon. But as the middle of the 20th century, most psychologists came to believe that nature versus nurture was a false dichotomy or division. It started when we began to understand the existence of genetic behavioral traits in the biology of learning. We now recognize that there are probably multiple factors involved in all behaviors. Being transgender involves four factors, but don't panic when you hear the words. I'm going to explain each of them slowly, in turn, in understandable language. But just to list them, they are, number one, genetic gender behavior predisposition. Number two, epigenetics non-interference with genetic predisposition. Number three, a Western binary cisgender and flexible culture gender system. Number four, early childhood gender learning and transgender recognition. What a mouthful of scientific gobbledygook, but they are not all that hard to understand if we take them a few, at a time, few words at a time and uh, explain each one. In this broadcast, I will give you a top-level look at each factor. At the end, I will also summarize how the factors play together. In future broadcasts, I will go into more detail on each factor. Factor 1, Genetic Gender Behavior Predisposition. The first factor is genetic gender behavior predisposition. Let's go over each of the words in that term. First, there's genetics. Genetics refers to the DNA blueprint that builds and operates the body. DNA is a chemical compound that consists of a code of atoms that stores information in all earthly life forms. You have probably seen the twisted helical structure of DNA all strung out. But most of the time, DNA is found in a small ball in the nucleus of the cell, which is found in the center of most cells. Your body has about 37 trillion cells and about a third have a nucleus and DNA. The rest are red blood cells. In humans, a person's DNA is usually formed by combining the special male and female cells at a point we call conception. This starter cell divides and passes the DNA on to both of its successor cells. Cell division continues and human growth results. Genetic involved the DNA chemical information storage mechanisms that results in various human traits. Like, for example, eye color. For something as simple as eye color, we used to think there were seven genes or seven DNA segments that were involved but now we know there are at least 13 different segments or genes that are involved and we don't know that we've really found them all. We should expect that something as complicated as behavioral traits will have multiple genes and that is indeed the case. DNA is different for nearly everyone. The exception is identical twins who start out shortly after conception when the cell divides and separates into two individuals. Two twins are formed Each twin starts with the same DNA. In a few minutes we'll come back to identical twins whose membership may include either one or two transgender people. The second term in this factor of genetic gender behavior predisposition is gender behavior. Gender behavior refers to behaviors that people do or perform which culture considers to be in the gender categories. Any baby behavior can become a gender behavior, and the list changes from culture to culture and time to time. In the West, long hair for women and short hair for men were the rule, except in the 1960s when I came of age, and in other historic periods, when long hair was in fashion for both uh, types of people. Makeup for women and none for men, except for the recent upsurge in metrosexual men. Certain jobs for women and certain jobs meant for men, except that the exclusive list of men-only and women-only jobs, is shrinking due to technology and an approved appreciation of the competence of women. Some cultures divide gender behaviors into rigid categories. Current Western culture is one such culture that has rigid gender behavior categories. Immediately after you're born, the doctor looks between your legs at some of your external sex organs and determines your sex. In Western culture, everyone is assigned at birth to one of two gender behavior categories according to their sex. Males must be in the masculine category and females in the feminine category. The term for this categorization of gender at birth is called cisgender. That's spelled C-I-S, gender, meaning in Latin on this side. Trans and transgender means on the other side. So transgender and cisgender are opposites. The Western culture gender system is also good binary because it has two gender categories. As we will see in future posts, other other cultures have both historic and contemporary examples that have up to five gender categories. Finally, Western culture is inflexible and frowns on people moving from one gender behavior category to another, although some other cultures allow freedom of movement. With regard to being transgender, Western culture has started to change and to be more tolerant, but it's not there yet. I still get some dirty looks when I go out, and I'm still afraid to go into some places in the city. Predisposition is probably a word you have not heard much about. Predisposition in this context refers to DNA traits that make it likely that a person will react or behave in a certain way. There are many examples of predisposition of behavior. A primary example is language. Humans have a predisposition to communicate through language. Other species can communicate by making sounds and observing behavior, but only humans have a sophisticated language. This trait is so strong that even people who cannot speak or hear communicate through language in the form of sign language. We know about other traits that have a predisposition basis in DNA and in heredity. These include handedness, whether you use one hand or another to do a particular task. And very recently, the DNA basis for loneliness was established. Evidence for the predispositions involved in being transgender usually involves studies of identical twins. For identical twins, if one twin is transgender, then the other is likely to be transgender at about a 50% correlation. This is high, far higher than one would expect for unrelated pair of people, since people are transgender at a rate of about 1% of the population. Some of the available studies control for intrauterine and family environment using fraternal twins and non-twin siblings data, but the results are about the same. There are also studies that have detected DNA markers for being transgender, but a full DNA scan has not been done because in the past, such scans were too expensive and costly in terms of time and money. Although the cost and time has significantly decreased, research money for such studies is not currently available. There are also biomarkers indicating that there are differences in DNA between transgender and cisgender individuals. And there are natural experiments or accidents of nature that also support a genetic gender behavior predisposition. So that's the story of the first factor in being transgender, that of genetic gender behavior predisposition. Factor two, epigenetics non-interference with genetic predisposition. The second factor in transgender causation is epigenetics. That also may not be a word you have heard much about. Epigenetics concerns mechanisms that change DNA information or change how it is communicated to the rest of the cell. We call the DNA changes mutations, and the change communications we, also, we call changes in DNA expression. Some of these mechanisms are in place even at conception. There are examples of epigenetic chemicals coming from the father at conception, non-DNA chemicals, that protect a baby from certain traits. But most of the mechanisms we know about are active during pregnancy. There are examples of identical twins that you would not really recognize as being related to one another if you saw them because their skin color, facial character and size and other traits are not identical. But they started out with the same DNA. So epigenetics has a large effect on how uh, people uh, turn out. So how does this apply to being transgender? The answer is that for transgender people, the DNA behavior predispositions involved in being transgender are not interfered with by epigenetic mechanisms. If we go back to the transgender twin studies, half of the transgender identical twins had a twin who was transgender, but half did not. This means epigenetic mechanisms blocked the second twin from being transgender. I should also point out that the twin studies demonstrate that sex is not the same thing as gender. For twin pairs in which one twin is transgender and the other was not, both had the same sex. This is a blinding flash of the obvious that many overlook. There are several theories of being transgender that suggest that epigenetic mechanisms like hormones and drugs must cause a person to be transgender, but the evidence for them is pretty weak. So that's a story about epigenetics. Factor 3, Western binary cisgender inflexible culture gender system. That's also a pretty big mouthful. Uh, Why is the third factor, Western culture, one of the four factors in being transgender? Well, Western culture forces people to be transgender because it is cisgender, binary, and inflexible. To be transgender is to violate cultural assignment to a particular gender category. The categories consist of expected behaviors, norms, and rules. Males are expected to behave in the masculine gender category and females in the feminine category. What's important is that children are expected to learn about this gender system and follow it throughout their lives. Transgender people do not fit cultural expectations of gender behavior categories because of their predisposition biology. Culture, gender systems are devised by humans, and there is no guarantee they will agree with biology. Because of their gender, genetic gender behavior predisposition, transgender people may fit better in another category or may not fit into either category. So that's the story about the third uh, factor, that of Western culture. It forces people to be transgender because it is cisgender, binary, and inflexible. The final factor in being transgender is early childhood learning. It makes sense you can't realize that you're transgender until you know about gender. Children are surprisingly good learners of gender. By about two to three, they've learned the basics. And why not? Their parents continuously tell them all about it with numerous examples. The children learn by watching their parents and other people who model their gender category in person or in the media. Parents and others also point out deviations from gender behavior categories, starting at an early age. Children are required to dress and present themselves in one category or the other, starting early on. There's no reason males should wear blue and girls wear pink. In fact, the start of the last century, the color sign was reversed, which tells you that these categories are arbitrary. Transgender children quickly learn about gender like other children. By age four to five, most transgender kids recognize that they do not belong in the gender category to which they were assigned, and start in and on transgender behavior. They may not know the word transgender, but they know the boy and girl gender categories pretty well. When I was four, I told my mother that I was a girl, not a boy, and she was not pleased. Uh, That was about 10 years before the word transgender was even invented. So there was no way I could use that word. So to sum up, here are how the four factors work together to result in being transgender. At conception, parents contribute to the DNA of a child. The DNA contains genetic information to form various traits. Among them are behavior predispositions. During pregnancy, the gender behavior predisposition DNA that will create a transgender person somehow eludes the epigenetic factors that could change the DNA or change how its message is transmitted to cells. A baby is born, the doctor may hit it on the behind to make sure it starts breathing, and the next thing a doctor does is to look between a baby's legs to determine its sex and note it. As we, have, as we have seen, sex and gender are not the same thing because twin pairs with one transgender member are both the same sex. Culture takes note of sex information for a child and the gender system is off and running. The child is put into the appropriate colored onesie and cap and goes off to the nursery. The parents are happy that they have a healthy child and start to make plans for him or her, depending on its sex. Today, parents usually know the likely sex of the child in advance because of ultrasound imaging, so they can get all the clothes and toys they consider appropriate uh, to the gender of that child. Like most all children, the transgender child learns about gender by age two to three, but by four to five, the child comes to realize they don't fit into the culture gender category that they have been assigned. They start to behave in the other category or neither category. The terms for this are gender queer, gender fluid, or gender nonconforming. This is the case with most transgender people, but some do not recognize they are transgender until later in life. They only realize in childhood that they are different. The child is immediately recognized as a violator of culture gender roles and the child may follow several paths. We will cover all of these paths in later broadcasts. A final word, I've tried to give you my take on what causes being transgender based on current science, but whatever future science determines that the causal factors may be, transgender people should not be denied their civil and economic rights as guaranteed by the United States Constitution and international law and ethics. That's all for now. I'll be back with more soon.
5: In the family, bread when I'm filling up the pantry. Now my niggas slang cane like a dandy. I tell you how I go: you pull out rubber bands, I pull out an envelope. The ladies on my elbow ain't for the show. Every man on my team is a top general.
0: So, in each episode, I will showcase a trans person of interest and influence, trademark. These will be people, both past and present, who have made notable contributions to the LGBT community and society in general. I will make a sincere effort to pull from the areas of art and entertainment, business, education, law, justice, etc. But since this is a podcast, it is quite difficult to pay proper homage to someone whose expertise is visual like a painter, sculptor, fashion designer. But to be honest, a lot of this will be devoted to music as it has made a much broader impact. There's so much awesomeness out there, and because, well, fuck it, it's the only thing that keeps me sane. As the gay-friendly emperor Napoleon Bonaparte said, music is what tells us that the human race is greater than we realize. Today, I'm going to share with you three courageous singers who, although they never reached great commercial success, were out and in the public eye at a time when nobody was. I'm speaking of Jackie Shane, Q Lazarus, who were both trans women, and Wilmer Littleax, Broadnax, a trans man gospel singer. First up is the fabulous Jackie Shane with her biggest hit, originally recorded in 1962, called Any Other Way.
6: And you say that you're my friend. But I don't know why you're here. She wants to know how I feel. Tell her that I'm happy. Tell her that I'm gay. Tell her I wasn't happy. Any other way People have been talking Since we've been apart And when I pass I hear them whisper (laughs) There he goes with a broken heart But when you see my baby Here's what you say
7: Tell her I wouldn't have it Any other way
6: That's all I got to say, my friend now we better say goodbye. I think you'd better go right now, or you might see me cry. But when you see my baby, this is what you say: Tell her I wouldn't have any other way.
0: Jackie Shane was an American singer who was a leading light in Toronto's 1960s soul and R and B scene. Jackie Shane is remembered for her dynamic stage presence, which drew comparisons to Little Richard and James Brown and for her 1962 single, Any Other Way, which was a modest chart hit across Canada. An early pioneer of Toronto's transgender and LGBTQ community, Shane's early days saw her presenting on stage as a man dressed in drag. Years later, She would come out publicly to identify as a transgender woman, but the unforgiving social atmosphere of the era made this somewhat ambiguous approach her safest bet. Born in 1940, Shane moved to Canada in 1960 and was discovered at a club in Montreal by another American expat musician, Frank Motley. Joining Motley's band as the lead singer, she relocated to Toronto and soon became enmeshed in the music scene, returning home to the States for occasional performances. Her first solo single, a cover of the Motown hit Money, That's What I Want, was released in 1962. Let's take a listen. That was followed shortly after by Any Other Way, which became a regional hit, reaching number two on Toronto's Chum chart. The song would later be reissued nationally in 1967 and reached number 67 on Canada's RPM chart. Throughout her early years in Toronto, Shane performed regularly at the Sapphire Tavern. And, capitalizing on the sudden nationalist success of Any Other Way, a live recording from that venue called Jackie Shane Live originally recorded in 1963, was released in 1967. Here are some other tracks off that album.
6: can't pass through the dirty window, but I kind of like it that way in my t- rumble of the other subway passing by, the house like a summer rain. I don't have nothing but plain, careful water. But I can never hear a complaint in my tenement. It's a top of the Waiting, uh, in my in my she gives me everything. Life is hard, but we don't mind. We got each other.
0: By the early 70s, Shane had largely faded from Toronto's music scene, and after relocating to Los Angeles, seemingly dropped out of music altogether. By the early 80s, she was living back in Nashville, and in 2010, interest in her work was revived when CBC Radio aired a documentary episode of their Inside the Music series called I Got Mine, The Story of Jackie Shane. At the time, the creators of the documentary were unable to determine whether Shane was even still alive. Speculation was soon put to rest when she was located, still residing in Nashville. Further attention came in 2011, with footage of Shane appearing in Bruce McDonald's television documentary, Young Street, Toronto Rock and Roll Stories. In 2017, a collection of essays chronicling Toronto's LGBT history was published under the title Any Other Way. How Toronto Got Queer. The book included an essay devoted to Shane. That same year, Shane worked with the Numero group on the two-disc anthology Any Other Way, marking the first artist-approved release of her music. Next up is American singer and songwriter Q Lazareth, with her famous song, Goodbye Horses. Lazarus is known for having a deep, husky, contralto voice. She was born in New Jersey, married young, fled a marriage of domestic abuse, which later would inspire her to write her song, Tears of Fear. After she fled her marriage, Q moved to New York City and became a nanny for an Englishman named Swan, who did not encourage her musical gifts, trying to steer her towards a practical occupation. Q decided to drive a taxi instead and continued making music independently with her brand, The Resurrection. She was discovered as a singer when she worked as a taxi driver in New York City. She picked up famous director Jonathan Demme, who heard her demo playing in the taxi. Demme took her to Hollywood, where, despite his encouragement, record companies refused to sign her because they believed she couldn't be marketed. Q replied, I market myself. I'm an African-American woman who wears locks and sings American rock and roll. Let's listen to her song, Tears for Fear. Q Lazarus' music was featured in the films Twisted, Something Wild, and Married to the Mob, where Goodbye Horses originally debuted. Q Lazarus recorded a cover of the Talking Heads song Heaven for the 1993 film Philadelphia, starring Tom Hanks. It is hard to
6: imagine oh, nothing could be so exciting. Oh, i
0: scene of the movie, Q is featured as the singer of the band singing that song. Goodbye Horses, written by William Garvey, is most remembered from The Silence of the Lambs as the song played during the famous scene in which Buffalo Bill performs his macabre cross-dressing monologue. This garnered it the popular nickname The Buffalo Bill Song. It was re-released as a single in 1991 with a longer duration after its appearance in The Silence of the Lambs. The song has since been featured and parodied in film, television, and video games, including Clerks 2, Fully Flared, Maniac, Grand Theft Auto 4, Skate 3, Family Guy, The Last Man on Earth, and Nip and Tuck. Q Lazarus Band was called Q Lazarus and the Resurrection. The members included Mark Barrett, Garvey, Gloriana Galatia, Janice Bernstein, and backup singers Denise, Liz, and Yvette W., Howie Feldman, and Ron Rosigno. Q Lazarus and the Resurrection appeared at Soho gallery parties and often performed at Boy Bar on St. Mark's Place and the Pyramid Club. The band disbanded sometime before 1996, and Q Lazarus dropped from the public eye.
8: the game you play.
0: After years of speculation about the state of her existence, the popular blog ATRL created a thread about her and the users believed they were able to track her down, claiming that, as of 2018, she was a bus driver on Staten Island. However, this information has not been confirmed by a reputable source nor any public statement from Q herself. In fact, the social media accounts believed to belong to Q Lazarus were quickly deleted almost the same day after bloggers discovered them. Q. Lazarus' continued existence remains a mystery. And finally, Wilmer M. Broadnax, born December 28, 1916, died June 1, 1992. Also known as Little Axe, Wilbur, Willie, and Wilmer. He was an American hard gospel quartet singer. This is his earliest known recording from 1945 called I'll tell it wherever I go.
6: 'Cause that's in my soul. Wherever I go, though life is a silent, I just can't understand. But thank him and trust him and pray to while I can. Oh, Tiny, really let I'm ready, let on, for this ready, I'm ready, wherever I go. It's
0: Southern California in the mid-1940s, Wilmer and brother William joined the Southern Gospel Singers, a group which performed primarily on weekends. Wilmer and William soon formed their own quartet, the Golden Echoes. William eventually left for Atlanta, where he joined the five trumpets, but Wilmer stayed on as lead singer, and in 1949, the group, augmented by future soul-stirrer Paul Foster, recorded a single of When the Saints Go Marching In, for specialty records label chief Art Rupi, decided to drop them before they could record a follow-up and shortly thereafter the golden echoes disbanded. Here is that recording
9: when Lord, you know I want to be Just let me be Well, when the saints Go oh, marching in Well, when the saints Go oh, marching in Lord, when the saints Go marching in Lord, when the saints Lord, well, when the saints Saint Oh, marching Saint when Oh,
6: marching
0: In 1950, Broadnax joined the Spirit of Memphis Quartet. Along with him, their group featured two other leads, Jethro Jet Bledsoe, a bluesy crooner, and Silas Steele, an overpowering baritone. The Spirit of Memphis Quartet recorded for King Records, and Broadnax appeared on their releases at least until 1952. The following are a few of their tracks, called The Atomic Telephone, Sign of the Judgment, and Every Time I Feel the Spirit.
6: Give us a brand new power What to use for the good of all mankind Some people want to use to store everything Talk to
10: Jesus no. on the atomic telephone. Well, then no man knows his power. Oh, only God alone. Well, then it can cure the sick or destroy the evil with one sweep of power known by God alone. Oh, God is not too busy to know the sins of man. You may hear from heaven, eh? boom, boom, boom. you may feel his hand. Boom, boom. If you are in trouble and afraid of all mankind, eh? pick up the <laughs> atomic telephone <laughs> and <laughs> get him on the line. Hey, I've life. got to talk to Jesus on the atomic <laughs> telephone. All of no, no man knows his power, all only all God, God alone. All it can cure the sick are destroy the evil with one sweep of power known by god alone oh, for this call to heaven there will be no choice just like old man noah pray from an eye you can ask your god just mm-hmm. what to do, mm-hmm. he'll lead you from the wilderness mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. out of the dark. Oh, hey, well, then I, I got talk to you. Jesus on the atomic telephone. Hey, oh, well, then hey, no man knows his power. power. Oh, 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 only yeah. God alone. Oh, well, then it can cure the sick or destroy their evil. With one sweep of power Known by God all alone yeah, Then I have talked to Jesus On the atomic telephone But mm-hmm. oh, no man knows his power Oh, mm-hmm. Only God alone Then it all can of cure the sick Or destroy the evil With one sweep of power, power. Known by God alone
6: I see the sun.
0: After that, Broadnax moved on, working with the Fairfield Four and in the early 1960s as one of the replacements for Archie Brownlee in the Five Blind Boys of Mississippi until about 1965. Here is one of their hits with Broadnax as a member called I Got It Within Me. headed a quartet called Little Axe and the Golden Echoes, which released some singles on Peacock Records. But by then, quartet singing was fading in commercial viability, and Brodnax retired from touring. In retirement, Broadnax continued to record new material occasionally with the Blind Boys into the 1970s and 80s. And upon Broadnax's death in 1992, it was discovered that Broadnax was a trans man. So, uh, wow, they were pioneers, they were living authentically and on their own terms, and yet in the end they were still full of mystique. The stories of Jackie and Q seem sad, but maybe they aren't. Let's not assume there's any tragedy here just because they've chosen to step out of the limelight. They remind me of a song which I'll play in a moment, but I hope they know that they are loved and that the world is a better place because they were in it.
7: You'll never do But I wish someone Had to talk to me Like I want to talk to you Ooh, I've been to Georgia A weary heart that has lived a million lives Oh, I've been to Nice and the Isle of Greece While I sipped champagne on a yacht I moved like Harlow in Monte Carlo And showed them what I've got I've been undressed by kings And I've seen some things To paradise, but I've never been to me. Hey, you know what paradise is? It's a lie. A fantasy we create about people and places as we'd like them to be. But you know what truth is? It's that little baby you're holding And it's that man you fought with this morning The same one you're going to make love with tonight That's truth, that's love Sometimes I've been to crying for unborn children That might have made me complete But I, I took the this-
0: Thank you for spending some time with me. I hope you have a wonderful day and I love you all. As
7: I walk through the world, so many things I see. uh And then I say to myself, uh, it's never as it seems. Cause I am the one, I rule my world. Nobody rules my destiny, cause you are the one.